Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. and Barrels. It is Friday, April 23rd. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli here with you on this episode. We will discuss Britt's rotation rankings. Britt has fallen far into the abyss of ranking things now. She knows our pain, the difficulties that come along with it, and of course the ever-loving comments of rankings that nitpick every little thing you do. So we're going to talk about her rankings, the toughest rotations to rank right now, teams most likely to rise, teams most likely to fall. We have another installment of Is This Real? inspired by several questions that came in over the past few days. And uh, we'll talk about the need for replay on stolen bases to be fixed because I have a bone to pick with what is happening on stolen bases right now. But we begin with Brit's rotation rankings. And a good morning to Thor, who's joining the show. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see Thor join Brit today. Uh, you know what? They said we couldn't get a high-quality guest on Fridays, you guys, and <laughs> I am here. <laughs> Star. Uh, he, <laughs> Although he's bored with us. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he will not bark, which is good, but he will definitely yawn. So if he yawns, move it along to the next topic. All right, he's just here to keep us in check. One animal segue. Yes, they said you needed a younger demographic, and so I brought Thor in here. He's going to make us cool, make us hip. Uh, guys, I am I am retiring after my list. I don't know how the two of you do it. Uh, I would like to step off the stage unnotably, dishonorably. Uh, that was a very difficult, ridiculously difficult. I thought lists were for lazy people. Like, here's my grocery list. Uh <laughs> Instead, I challenge anyone listening to this podcast to list anything in baseball. The first five, easy. Last five, easy. The middle, I just got consumed with 12 versus 14 and 16 versus 18. And no matter what, you're going to piss somebody off. So it's like, I just spent all this time and it's such early in the season that one night, one game changes everything. The Nationals get two back-to-back quality starts. All of a sudden, they're not the worst ERA. They, like, leapfrog 10 teams. So you look like an idiot. So I would highly recommend leaving the lists to Eno, to DVR, to anyone but me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. it is. I mean, that phenomenon with the first five and last five, you know, I'm like, put Joey Lucchese in the last five. Put Garrett Cole in the first five, and now I've got 155 to put in between. Uh, yeah, and and even even in the tiers, I think you you can you can kind of like like you could do that blink analysis that I call right, where you like the first time you put the list together, right? You're like, I'm just gonna just put it down how I think, right? And then you, so you have an idea. Okay, all right, these are like the top five. I like how you did tiers in the article too, right? Like these are. These are like these, this one's separate. These ones are in a good pack. Then there's like kind of mediocre pack. And then there's like the bad pack, right? But then within that, like, how are you supposed to choose between the 25th and 26th best rotation? Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, like it, 12th and 14th. I, I, I totally get it. And like right now, do you think the Rockies or Rangers rotation is better than the Yankees? How much do you go off of preseason rankings? Because we're only three weeks in. I think if you did the, the list in July, you'd at least have some runway. Right now, it's you're still going off of expectations, right? Like the Padres, okay, they've played their record's not great, but they've played the Dodgers like a million times already for a good chunk of these games. So how much do you base that off of, right? The Yankees are about to go play Baltimore, so their numbers are going to look probably marketedly better here in a few days. So it's just like almost impossible. Some teams, and then because of COVID, the Mets played like 11 games. The Dodgers played like 18. And you're like, How, what do I do with this? So this wasn't the most fun thing of your life? I love doing rankings. 
<laughs> uh, no, and I literally thought it was for lazy people, like lazy journalists. Like, let's just make a ranking. Let's make a list. And it was harder than an investigative story because it, it just keeps changing. So, again, I challenge the people listening here to make a list of anything related to stats, not like your favorite, not, nothing subjective. Try to make a list and see how difficult it gets when you get to that middle portion. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the tricky thing that Eno said is if you start to come back to the list multiple times or if you start bringing in more information. So if you start off, you kind of do it with gut feel and then you bring in projections and then you bring in results so far. And then you start looking at, oh, who's hurt? Who might come up? Every new variable you introduce is going to lead you to make some tweaks a little more. (laughs) And you're never quite happy with it. And then as soon as you publish the list, something else happens and either scrambling to update the list again or you're like, well, this is the first thing I'm going to change the next time I do this. And then, you know, a thousand more things happen before you do it again. But I don't know. Something about the never, never having the perfect set of rankings keeps me coming back, which is... It's kind of insane when you think about it. Like, this will never be right, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. <laughs> the, the player rankings had the added bonus. with a, At least with a team, you didn't forget a team. There are 30 <laughs> teams. You put them all in there. Uh, I have to run back after this podcast and add Sixto Sanchez and Carlos Carrasco to my rankings because they hadn't pitched yet, so they didn't show up in the leaderboards I made. You know, so mea culpa. I am sorry. Uh we did not. I will. I will put them in. Luckily, you have all thirty teams in your rankings. Uh, unluckily for me and my bold prediction that the Cubs would not have the worst. Uh, would have the. I think I have the Cubs would have the best rotation in the Central, or maybe I said not worst or something. But like, uh, they are the twenty ninth rated team by strikeouts minus walks. Their bet on command doesn't seem to be working that well. I do think Kyle Hendricks has better days in front of him. Uh, maybe Alec Mills will join that rotation. But being 29th in strikeouts minus walks, uh, 30th is Colorado. That's one That's one metric that I uh, used heavily in my pitcher rankings that I would look at um, You know, if I did a, a team ranking. Uh, it lines up uh, very well with yours. Uh, I just think that uh, a couple teams that, that stood out were uh, Atlanta 11th in strikeouts minus walks, and the Yankees rotation is 5th in strikeouts minus walks. So there is some uh, possibility. That's like just, just a really good uh, small sample stat because it removes all the noise of balls in play. So uh, it, that could be a sign that those two teams... Well, I, uh, where did you have Atlanta? I don't think you have them much worse than eleven. No, I had them both as like we need to get better. Like well, things right. are going to turn around uh, because I, yeah. I didn't want people to get on me for you know saying oh the Braves rotation's great uh, when they lose two starters in three days. They've obviously had some mm-hmm. depth issues, and obviously we know the Yankees have had some struggles early on as well. So the Nationals right. are in there um, under that whole category of like things have to get better, right? Because they can't actually get too much worse. I think for some of those clubs, yeah. right? The, it also doesn't this also right now the way we're talking. This speaks a little bit to the fundamental issue with rankings, which is that some will come to it uh, thinking, sort of, this is how they've been so far, and others will come to the rankings thinking like this is how they will be going forward. Yes, yes. And if you wanted to do this is how they've been so far, you could just. I guess go start to finish in ERA or whatever, yeah. right? And just like make a list. But when you do that, you're like, wait a second, the Rockies, the Rangers, you have all these teams at the top. At least when I did it a couple of days ago, it's probably vastly different now. Um, and you're like, okay, are these teams actually going to hold on? No, there's all these peripheral stats that suggest that they won't. So, and also, yeah, Rockies seventh within ERA right now, yeah. uh, Rangers fifth. That is a little weird. John Gray has been really good. It, I have John Gray in NL Labor, so it's the deepest league I'm playing in this year. It's a 12-team NL-only league. He is a reserve for me. I only want to use him on the road, and I believe his yeah, only... Yeah, he's shoving yeah, at home. His only road start this year was against the Dodgers, so I wasn't putting him in for that, and I didn't use him at home because he was home against the Dodgers, he was home against the Astros, and he was home against Arizona. So I've had him on my bench the entire time while he's thrown 22 and a third innings with a 242 ERA and a 112 whip. And I know, well, let me tell you I know if I change my mind, if I start playing him in spots where I wasn't going to play him before, it's not sustainable. It's coming yeah. back. <laughs> it's coming back to earth. We know who John Gray is. John Gray, we talked about Max Scherzer as a, a trade candidate last week. John Gray is the kind of guy that a team 
could actually trade for if they want rotation help, be that the Padres, the Yankees, or the many other contending teams that are one starter short of getting to where they want to go. John Gray could be one of those solutions. If you take him out of Colorado, we push reset, we start over. I think there's a good pitcher in there. He's just stuck in Coors. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I, I also wonder, like, is the Giants sustainable? I had them up kind of high because they rank so high. And also, though, if they do well because of the division they're in, everyone's got them ticketed for third place no matter what. Uh, do they trade all these guys because they're all on one-year deals? So when yeah. you rank these guys, do you go based off of the triers? Like, do you care that Matt Harvey got his first win in two years? Like, do you care about the teams that aren't competing? I put them in their own section solely because I didn't want to deal with them. Um, you, know? <laughs> you go stand I mean, over there. A, there's a lot of there's a lot of up and down that's going to happen in Baltimore, right? Like Dean Kramer's going to come back and Keegan Aiken, and they're just going to try everybody out, and you know, there's going to be some heartache and pain. Yeah, so I sort of think that like if you're in that rebuilding team, like why why even why even do it? Right? right? Like, there's going to be some rookies that are going to fall on their face, and like you know, I I don't think that they're those guys are there yet. So I think it's a fair fair way to do it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the, the Rockies are striking out seven per nine and walking four and a half per nine. It's just yeah, there's there's nothing that says sustainable about that to me. Though some commenter said you must not watch the Rockies. Okay, fair. I've been called out. Uh, there's a lot of games at night, uh, <laughs> and he's like. Well, there's been a lot of walk. A couple of the walks are skewed because there were some really high walk outings that skewed that. Now, I have not had a chance to go back and see if he's correct. If there were like, uh, you know, an eight walk or a 10 walk, Thor's done. We mentioned the Rockies and he's now left the entire. <laughs> God, you guys are talking about the Rockies. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know if you stumbled on that, Eno, or if it's a commenter that's trying to. You know. I mean, I suppose in a small sample, uh, that's possible. Uh, but I mean, you know, we're talking about 20 games. So what's he talking about? There's like other two games with 10 walks. Right. I mean, I guess that, that, I think that also says something about the talent of your team. If you had a couple games with that many walks, right? It's like, well, yeah. Austin Gomber walked seven against the Dodgers at Coors in his first has, start. That was his first start in Colorado, at least as a rock man, though. He also has poor command. Yeah, and even Gray, who's pitching well, has a pretty high walk rate for a guy who's pitching well. So I, I don't, I don't see it lasting. I, I just think the usual flaws for Colorado pitchers absolutely still apply. But the Giants are really interesting because they are exceeding expectations. The park helps their pitchers exceed expectations. Kevin Gossman now versus the Kevin Gossman that Britt saw in Baltimore for a long time. He's yeah. a different pitcher now. Like I think it's fair to say that. And even someone like. Anthony Dusclefani, who in a, a homer-boosting park like Cincinnati was really kind of facing an uphill battle, now he's got a lot more cushion. It starts to break down for me at Alex Wood and Aaron Sanchez and you know, Logan Webb I thought was going to be in a position to take advantage of a pretty favorable schedule in April. I would say that also kind of works for the Giants pitchers as a group so far. Uh, I don't think their depth is very good. Even if Gossman is, is good and Desclafani is decent, I'm not sure Wood and Sanchez are giving them quality innings all season long as starters. I'm a little surprised that somebody hasn't popped yet. I know I have some respect for what they're doing as a, as a player development program. Uh, Matt Daniels from Driveline is there uh, helping on the pitching side. And, um, you know, their pitchers seem well um, well uh, coached when I talk to them. Logan Webb talks about, you know, the shape of his pitches and what he's trying to do and this and that. And, uh, but I'm a little surprised the Giants, like the Giants finally produced a reliever the other day. I don't know if you guys saw, we were talking about him on the Fantasy in 15. Uh, was it Gregory, what's his name? Santos. Gregory, Gregory Santos. Santos. Throwing 99 with 90, 90 mile an hour sliders. It's like, oh, finally you got your own of these. You know, like everyone seems to have one of these. Now finally the Giants have one. I'm a little surprised they don't have like a pop-up starting pitcher prospect. Like we're still talking about Logan Webb. It's like been three years. <laughs> Like, where's the next guy? Isn't there supposed to be, like, a a guy by now? You know, so. yes. there was a, a tweet earlier this week from the Giants Prospects Twitter account. I was I never know which of those teams have an official Prospects account and which one is kind of like oh, a yeah. fan analyst fan sort of account. Yeah. But they did have a guy, a pop-up guy. I'm blanking on the name right now. I'll see if I can pull it up. The other reliever they called up this week was Camilo Duvall. And the beat writer's covering the Giants were pretty excited about him. 
the thing that gives me some pause is that I'm seeing the dreaded 20 command grade next to his name on fan graphs. You do not see a lot of 20s even for major league relievers. Wow. That's tough to That's do. Impressive. <laughs> Where is the ball going when he throws it? Ooh, that's tough. I mean, honestly... Is that Henry Rodriguez level? <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean, how do you make it up with that? I don't know. I mean, the walk rates in A-ball were Better above four and a half. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it, the Vila. stuff obviously is good. The Velo in the debut, he's averaging 97 on the fastball and throwing sliders half the time at 85. So it, it could work if he starts to find the zone. Maybe he just throws everything to the middle of the zone. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> did you guys see the Giants last night had a bunny? They had like a special... <laughs> bunny at yes. the stadium then of course i checked our both our giants writers to see if anyone did a deep dive into the bunny but nobody did um unfortunately Aww. i know i wish don't I had touch known. The, put the bunny down was that, <laughs> is that from con air yeah. put the he has that really terrible southern accent <laughs> put the bunny down <laughs> does anybody get this nobody gets it. i haven't I, seen con air you I, haven't seen con air what I'm sorry. It's a classic. Is that, a, is that an actual classic or is that an Eno classic? Uh, it's it's borderline classic. I'd say Eno classic. But the bunny was like a special. I mean, uh, what are the what do they call the special aid dogs? Uh, it was like that. Oh, it was like a was like, a, uh, like a, a therapy a bunny animal. Like yeah, because it's like how do you get this in? Like you, they won't even let you bring purses anymore. It's not like you could shove them in a bag, right? Like they don't let you bring mm. anything into stadiums. It was like a special. What's the name of those? Like, it's a service animal. A service bunny. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's I do awesome. too. Like unbelievable. Yeah, I mean the Giants. I, I, you know, I think you're right. I think the depth is the problem, and and that's like, how far do you want to go in these rankings? Do you want me to go like pit the teams use seven, eight, nine starting pitchers in these rankings? Do you want me to consider like the Giants' seventh starter, and how much weight should I give that? Right. It's like, there's only, I think we can all agree, there are some, like, smoke and mirrors, and there are some legit rotations. Milwaukee's legit. Uh, the Dodgers are legit, right? But then there's also, like, the 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 Giants I'd put under smoke and mirrors right now. I'm not, I, I'm not super convinced, right, that they're going to pitch to that level. 18th by strikeout minus walks. Yeah. You know? But a big part of it is uh, suppressing homers, which is kind of just their park, you know, more than anything. Yeah, so that becomes a problem when they go on the road. I, I thought the Giants and Red Sox were the teams most likely to fall based on where they were in this set of rankings, Britt. I thought the Braves and D-backs were the most convincing teams to move up. I think for me, Arizona's a little bit different. Zach Gallen just came back, but I also think it's only a matter of time before Corbin Martin takes somebody's spot, whether it's Merrill Kelly or an injury or whatever it is. Corbin Martin's going to be in that rotation. He's probably going to make that rotation better. And I think the D-backs are such an easy team to just breeze by for a lot of people because it's Dodgers Padres in that division, right? It just they're they're so irrelevant unless they find their way into the wild card mix. And even that takes so many things going right. But I think their starting pitching going forward will exceed a lot of people's expectations. Yeah, they were one of the teams that kind of struggled because Gallon had just came back, like where to put them, right? Are you going again, are you going based off potential or are you going based off of what they've done before? And the most confusing team has to be the Oakland A's, who have now won, what, like 11 games in a row or whatever it is, after starting 0-6, tied for the worst start in franchise history? Where, What do you do with them? Like, where do you put them? And what about the Angels, who, you know, they have Otani, and he's a big deal. Um, Dylan Bundy should be better, but certainly they're a team carried by their offense. So there were some teams where I was just really kind of like... Well, shrug, no clue where to put them. We'll just throw them in the middle here somewhere because I honestly have no clue where to put them. Like, I agree the Red Sox rotation is going to come back down to earth here slowly. Their offense has really been carrying them. Same thing with the Royals. There's teams who have the Reds. There's teams who have out hit their pitching and gotten off to a good start. And that's going to change here a little bit somewhat. You know, the Reds aren't going to sustain that offensive pace over 162. Um, But there are teams like... I don't know, you know, you're around the A's a lot more than I am. Like, what, what do you make of them? Are they just going to, like, quietly win 90 games and we're all going to laugh about how they started off with that ridiculously terrible week? I don't know, uh, actually. And, and sometimes, like, bullpens matter to the starting rotation ranking, you know? It's because, like, if you're going to look at wins at all, a lot of times, like, I don't think the, the A's bullpen is very good. And that might that might make them look worse, especially if you, like, Inherited runners, you think about, right? Like Montas puts a couple guys on, the reliever comes in, lets them in. That makes Montas look worse, right? 
Um, so there, there is like a sort of whole team aspect to this, just like you're saying about out hitting the, the rotations. Like, you know, you, you might think that the Reds have a better rotation because they've been, they've had wins, you know, but like, if you just look at the rotation, how good has it been? So, uh, when I look at the A's rotation also, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it through the lens of, uh, these rankings that I just put out, um, where I'm using, um, I'm using, uh, stuff and command numbers, right? And uh, they just don't look that good uh, for a lot of the, the A's. And I'm a little bit surprised by it. But like Luzardo um, uh, has by this uh, number a 90 stuff and a 99 command. So like I think you would be looking at him at being a sort of a league average pitcher, right? Uh, you're looking at Montas, who might be the ace. He has good stuff, 110 stuff. Uh, but 95 command, and I think that shows up in some of his, like, sort of really good and really bad outings, you know? He just gave up six runs the other day. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, then you then you get into the rest of it, and they're decidedly mediocre. I mean, Bassett's 93 uh, stuff, 94 command. Uh, who's ba- after Bassett? Sean Manaya. Manaya. Uh, He's pitched well. Outperforming his uh, stuff and command numbers, though. Um, one of the guys that I have uh, as uh, stepping coming back to earth. Let me see here. Shamanaya, 75 stuff, 98 command. Uh, I have him as 114th best pitcher. So anyway, uh, just in terms of stuff and command, they don't stand out. You know, Montas is the leader, but uh, also has poor command. And so it's not going to always work out. Um you know, I, I, I would not say that that rotation is very much above average. I would say, I think this is the kind of rotation where do I put them 12th or do I put them 16th? I don't know. Yeah. I think Jesus Lazardo is pretty fascinating, though, because I think he gets at something that makes ranking individual players or teams particularly difficult. It's the untapped potential, right? He is this right now. He is... Uh, 99 command and 90 stuff right now, but he's not supposed to be those things. He's supposed mm-hmm. to have better stuff than that. And he's still so young. He's only thrown 89 and a third innings in the big league so far. He's 23. For years, it seems like he has been right next to Julio Urias in my pitching rankings because they're both young lefties with high ceilings. So I, my mind wants to group them together. There's a big difference right now in terms of what they're doing, right? No, that's an excellent comparison to make because Urias used to have a kind of a, a two breaking balls, right? And one of the problems with uh, Luzardo is his breaking ball. It's kind of slurvy, right? And both of them, the Urias and Luzardo coming up 95 mile hours from the left side with a good changeup, right? That you could describe both of them the same way. Um, I think Urias has a slightly better command, but you know, that you're, you're getting really close to a comp with just the two of them. Then the breaking ball. Okay. So Urias had these two breaking balls and he's been playing around with them, playing around with them. And then finally this year, he kind of merged the two breaking balls. And that, that new breaking ball, that curve they're throwing right now, is by stuff the second best curve in the game behind Glasnow's among starters. So he found something where he was like, oh, and I kind of, I'm waiting for Lazardo to throw like a cutter and then he can have the slow curve ball as like a, just a change of pace velocity wise and do cutter change. I'm waiting for something because I, I think I, I agree with you. Every time I look at those numbers, I'm like, God, Lazardo's not better than this. Um, and I, but I think it, then I think of when I watch, I'm like, oh, you know, that breaking ball is just not good. You yeah. Know, it's kind of slurvy and, and, and iffy. 23 though, too. It does seem like we've been talking about him for a while. And maybe part of that is I covered the nationals, you know, he's kind of the one who got away yeah, right. along with Lucas Giolito, you know, the nationals take a lot of flack and, and we've written it, you know, that they don't develop starters. Um, but if there can be an old 23, he's it, right? I mean, he could figure it out at 25, still be super young. And we're like, oh, what took Lizardo so long to figure it out? Like 23 years old. <laughs> and in fact, I think this is, I think there's something to this with starting pitchers in general. A lot of times you look at, if you look at the leaderboards among position players, I feel like you see a lot of 25 year olds, 25, 24, even like younger. You'll see Soto and Acuna, you know, you'll see like 22 and 21 year olds, right? When you look at the leaderboards for starting pitchers, though, you'll see 37 year olds. You know, Scherzer. You'll see Max Scherzer. <laughs> You know, you'll yeah. see you'll see these guys, you'll see DeGrom, you'll see older guys. And I think it's partially because starting pitching is about having a lot of pitches that are good and and having command. And that's something that can take time. Your command improves over time. 
Um, and, you know, as a starting pitcher, it behooves you to add another pitch, add another pitch, add another pitch. And at some point, you're like, oh, this is the collection of pitches that I've got that'll take me through the heart of my career. Yeah. And, you know, that can stave off velocity loss. There's proof that even though relievers lose velocity quickly and lose production quickly, starters lose velocity about the same rate, but don't lose production at the same rate. And that's because they mix it up. They have those all those different pitches. They have better command. So I don't know why that was relevant to anything we were talking about. <laughs> I was interested. I enjoyed it. It's <laughs> <laughs> all that matters, right? As long as, as, long as we're having no, a good Lizarda time. No, Lazarda could figure it out. Lazarda could figure it out. He still has a lot of ways to figure it out. And I think worst case for him is uh, closer, you know. Like he could easily, I think, be a 97, 98 mile an hour guy with a changeup and be a closer. And I would say they're probably two full years away of him not getting it as a starter before that's even a consideration. There's still enough good things happening under in the underlying numbers to keep trying to make him a starter for quite a while yet. Make sure Thor knows, since he left and bailed on the show, <laughs> that he should be trading for Jesus Lazardo in his fantasy league. He might be uh, pretty happy if he does that. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's get to our next segment. Is this real? We started this up last week. Is this the real life? Brent, you're supposed to go there. <laughs> Didn't have it queued up on the phone this time. Yeah, hey, thought Brit had the next line, and then I was going to keep it moving. But, uh... Oh, I, I was not aware. Karaoke, karaoke, karaoke. I guarantee you the, the fastest path for us to get several one-star reviews <laughs> after, after talking karaoke. politics would be to do karaoke on the show yeah i was unaware that i joined an acapella group but i'm here for it <laughs> oh god god college acapella groups oh god what would we call this acapella group there's a twitter question for you throw throw that one our way uh, at rates and barrels at theathletic.com for the email at Edosaris, at Derek and Riper, at Brit underscore Giroli. I have no Why idea what we'd that? call that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that was a good idea. We would obviously, we would obviously call it Deb, which is the three of our initials. <laughs> there you go. That's not bad. Sounds like an 80s band. It I, does I sound like a hair band. <laughs> now someone's going to Photoshop all of us in the hair band garb. And that's going to be ridiculous. So have some fun with it, I guess. But uh, let's start with Joey Votto since we're already having fun. We got a question from Daniel. Uh, he wants to know, is there anything in the underlying numbers that are driving the bounce back that we're seeing from him? And I thought for a few years when we've been disappointed by Votto, I thought this is weird. Like He's the kind of guy I didn't want to bet against because I thought his approach would age as well as anybody's. And even if the power sort of waned in the final years of his career... He'd still hit for a good average. He'd still draw walks. He'd still be near the heart of that lineup and be a good run producer. So fantasy-wise, he'd be just kind of the the classic tortoise sort of player. Throw him in your lineup, and you'll get where you want to go by the end of the season, and it might not be exciting. Hasn't really been that way, though, in, in 2021. So, you know, what, do you see anything in Votto's profile that, that stands out that makes you think that what he's been doing early is actually sustainable? Yeah, he's not really doing that at all. He's he's aging in some other weird ass way. It's very strange, actually. Uh, Benjamin because... Benjamin Button. Have you guys seen that movie where they ages in yeah. reverse? It's like kind of. He's hitting for more power than ever, and his stat cast numbers are better than ever. And he's being more aggressive swing rate wise and reach rate wise than almost ever in his career. So he's kind of turning into like a. I'm just going to swing real hard all the time guy, which I never thought that would be what Votto would be. Uh, but it's working out. And I also have this funny thing. Uh, he went to driveline. Uh, and and the way that I hear that now when I when I write that or see that is um, those dumbass commercials. He went to Jared. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, you know, I, I have my brain works in that same way. Line. 
Well, <laughs> so I don't know how much Arrested Development you guys have watched, but uh, for people who've seen the show, Tobias Funke becomes friends with Carl Weathers, uh, the actor who played Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies, because Carl Weathers is a character on Arrested Development. And the way Tobias says Carl's name, Carl Weathers, like... I hear that sort of soft <laughs> weathers like when Ryan when I, when I read Ryan Weathers' name, it's Ryan Weathers, and it, it, I don't, I can't stop it. I can't. These are the brain worms we have. <laughs> this is what I have to live with in my own head, and yet somehow I'm a functioning adult. Mostly, mostly, most of the time, I'm a functioning adult, like doing things that other adults do. When that's happening, I don't know how to stop it. Uh, so apparently the training that he did there, uh, so the, you might be aware of like sort of uh, weighted balls. That's the kind of what people think of when they think of driveline pitchers using weighted balls to get uh, velocity. But weighted bats actually work for, for batters too. Uh, weighted bats are a way to develop bat speed. I mean, it, it's the same fundamental idea, which is to use to vary the weight of the implement you're using to kind of, uh, you do this in weightlifting, right? Like you do, yeah. you have to, you do you do low you do a lot of reps with the low weight right even if you're trying to train to do a big weight right am i wrong yeah there's also the principle of overload here which is exactly what yeah. you do in any kind of strength sport in general is the overload principle. go to the max go max yeah. all the way out yeah or you even go beyond that uh which like for squatting for example you'll do a squat not all the way down or you'll bench and you'll hold it a few inches off your chest to give yourself that progressive overload so that your body oh. is used to that and your body just continues to adapt right so um yeah. it's the same thing and the the heavy bat's been used in on deck circles forever but they just kind of like mess around with it this is more seems more concentrated like hit with this is this. more of like your your half your half bench presses like it's yeah. like you use a really heavy bat and you take a bunch of swings and then you wait a day, you recover, you let your body recover, you do the light bats the next day, which help you, light bats help you kind of uh, with that control, Sir. that command. And and then you, you go back to the heavy bat to, to develop bat speed. So, uh, you know, I think that they kind of did a bat speed program with him. Um, and what you see uh, in the stat cast numbers, I know that the ball is flying a little differently this year. But there's also in 2020 numbers for Joey Votto, which suggest the two best max exit velocities of his career. Um, And uh, this year is the best barrel rate of his career. But last year was the second best barrel rate of his career. So he's never been actually a guy where the stat cast numbers popped. He's been a guy that had elite plate discipline. Um, And he's kind of giving away some of that plate discipline uh, to hit the ball as hard as he can. Right. Um, and I never <laughs> predicted this, but this is something I love about Joey Votto. It reminds me of Mike Trout, where like Mike Trout, when he came up, Jeff Sullivan wrote a couple pieces. It was like, oh, Mike Trout is amazing. We all love Mike Trout, but he has a hole that high in the zone. And I feel like Mike Trout read that or just knew that that was happening in the scouting reports. He went in the offseason, developed a little bit of a different swing, like a little bit of a different way to get to the high pitch. And now, yeah, he's not his best part in the zone, but he can hit a high homer, you know? And, you know, the same thing happened with jumps in the outfield. They said that his defense wasn't good because jumps were bad. So he spent a whole offseason working on jumps. And now he's, despite his age, like a pretty credible center fielder. So uh, I feel the same way about Joey Votto. It's like anytime you're like, ah, he's done. And I wrote a piece, I think, a couple years ago. I was like, Joey Votto's done. <laughs> did you show it to him hope, in the clubhouse, too? I hope he didn't, read it. It. I hope he didn't he read it. He has it taped up in his room somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. like, I'll show this like, nerd. Wait till I see, you know, again, that little bastard. Yeah. It, it, it's fascinating, though, the concept to me of making pro sports harder. But it is how people improve when you get to that level is everyone – can swing the normal bat or throw the normal ball and you're going to hit that peak, right? You have to make it harder for your body to adapt, to continue to get better. That's what people don't realize. Just get into the big leagues. Players talk about this all the time. Getting to the big leagues is actually easy relative to staying in the big leagues, right? How many? And being great. Right. Yeah, being great. And continuing to get better every year. Uh, That's really the difficult thing. Um, and I think you had to do that. You have to continuously push your body, you know, especially as you get older, you have to continuously find ways to get better. And what I like about Vado and what, what driveline does really well is that how do we continue to adapt, right? The body is constantly adapting. If it's constantly adapting, it's constantly getting better while everybody else is maybe staying stagnant, then you're still ahead of the game. Right. So I think that to me is what's the most interesting hearing about that kind of that kind of training, because it happens in every sport. Um, yeah. And that that's what you do when you get used to throwing a football 
50, you know, 50 yards, right? How do you get better? Well, you practice throwing either heavy football or throwing further, right? You don't just keep doing the same thing thousands of times. That's more where you get the repetitive um, injuries, right? So with Joey Votto, he's not out. And also just you're not you're not pushing your body right. to go further. You're, you're not getting I mean, better. I, I've noticed it with running. It's like I settled in at some point at being able to run 15, 18 miles a week. Um, but if I don't push myself for the longer runs, the five to six mile runs still feel the same. They still feel as hard. They don't, I'm not making them easier. You know, they, and I'm not getting anywhere. They're, I'm not going faster on those runs. I just kind of settled into this rut where I just do the same thing. So I have to throw in a nine mile run. I have to throw in an 11 mile run in order just to kind of make my body be like, oh, like that, like we need the recovery. And then next week, the five mile is super easy. That's one thing. The other thing that I was thinking about was Mitch Haniger was just talking about this on MLB Network yesterday where um, he was coming back and he's like, uh, in order to be ready, I had to challenge myself as much as possible. I had to feel uncomfortable as much as possible in the off season. And so he did things like, not only do I turn the machine up to 100, but I turned the machine up to 100 and stepped five feet closer. <laughs> I was like, whoa, dude. <laughs> but it, it, I wouldn't be able to like fart that fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, what are you talking about? You're gonna you're gonna be able to hit a hundred mile fastball from like fifty five or you know fifty five feet. Right. So I don't. It's true though. It's the only way for these top one percent already to to get ahead of everybody else, right? If you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing, it's very simple when you put it like that. If you're doing the same thing everyone else is doing, you're gonna get the same results as everybody else. This literally applies to everything, even beyond exercise. Yeah, like you have to do different things. You have to get out of that comfort zone. Your body is just your body can adapt. You know, you could do your body is built to adapt. If you're not pushing it to adapt, you're just not going to get better. And in the case of professional baseball, yeah. There's kind of a mental corollary to this, huh? I mean, like I tried to I, I think about this with regard to, you know, uh writing and stuff. It's like should I, I'm not the greatest person at R or SQL, any of this research, you know, the statistics, right? Should I be working on that or should I be working on my strengths? You know, should I be, you know, working on like, you know, trying to augment my strengths and let, and just hire a researcher like I've been usually doing to like help me with the, the research part. But just by challenging yourself that way, even if I don't end up doing the R or doing the analysis myself, um, I'm pushing my brain to think about things a different way. I'm learning, uh, and I'm, and I, and I might take something out of that that at least makes a conversation with my researcher better. You know, like I, I, I can now interact with my researcher better, uh, because I tried to learn the language or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, it is one of those things that's, it's really hard to do, but it is also the thing to kind of do to stave off, uh, aging in your own life, you know? Uh, just try new things, continually try new things. The people that try new things and continually not try new things age better, I think. So, um, you know, try to, try to run two or three miles further. Try to, uh, try to read a book that, uh, isn't of the kind that you would normally read, you know, try to, try to learn a language. Uh, I'm, I'm plugging away at Duolingo. I don't think I can speak Spanish to a player anytime soon, but, uh. <laughs> I can uh, order the red shirt at the store. Ah! <laughs> to start. Oh, Gotta start somewhere. Camiseta Roja. Look at Ian. Uh, yeah, the Camiseta Roja. Roja. <laughs> I am inspired. Quisiera. Quisiera la Camiseta Rosa. Uh. <laughs> Let's get to Cedric Mullins for a moment because there's another change that's taking place here. Cedric Mullins was a switch hitter for years coming through the Orioles system, he has stopped doing that, only hitting from the left side. And I was looking at a piece that was over at Fangraphs that was pretty interesting because the splits for Mullins when he was a switch hitter weren't good. It wasn't working for him. He was good from the left side. He was bad from the right side. And the interesting thing about that for me was that when I number scout a player, I'm looking at the overall results, rarely digging into splits, at, at least at first glance. I'm just going, okay. How was he overall? What was his WRC plus? How much did he strike out? How much did he walk? How much power did he show? Well, that includes a bunch of plate appearances that were just bad because he was trying to do something that's really hard. So I'm curious. We'll start with you, Britt. What do you make of Cedric Mullins only hitting from the left side? He's hitting 328, 392, 478 this season entering play on Friday. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The numbers suggest that he should keep going. Uh, you keep going until it, the numbers suggest that you shouldn't, right? Then you go back to the drawing board. But I think, listen, I think switch hitting is one of the hardest things in any sport. In general, it's a general consensus that 
hitting in baseball is the toughest thing to do in pro sports, right? If you succeed three out of 10 times, you have a 300 batting average, you're really freaking good. Uh, I have never been able to understand how people can switch hit and switch hit well at the highest level. So to me, for Cedric Mullins, taking that away, letting him concentrate on just one thing, one swing, one side of the plate, and also playing the outfield seems to have worked. And he's a guy who, for years you heard about in Baltimore, is like the next coming, right? He was the reason they moved Adam Jones out of center field because they had Cedric Mullins. They had to play this guy. Um, and we're still kind of waiting for that for that guy. We're still kind of waiting for that breakout season. So it is really early, but I'd like what he's been able to do. And more importantly, I think for a younger player or a guy who has struggled to put together that season, guys, is I think he's gaining confidence now. I think when you have these switch hitters and it's like, oh, he's better from the left side, oh, he's better from the right side. Uh, Profar is a good example. Um, you know, we try to turn him around so that he bats from the weaker side. And there's a lot that goes into it mentally for hitters. Uh, I think for a guy like Mullins, getting out to that strong start confidence-wise helps build on that. And I would totally ignore the other side of the plate for now and just see if I can become Cedric Mullins, the outfielder of the future the Orioles thought I was going to be, uh, and a productive hitter, no matter what side of the plate that is. That That's how I feel about Cedric Mullins. Yeah, and I think uh, it is a, it is an interesting thing that, like, I think regression is coming, uh, and, uh, you know, he doesn't have the most power, uh, and he doesn't have the, the best track record of uh, patience. Um, but by having that um, early batting average lead, I think it will cover some of that regression. And at the end, uh, I do think he'll do better than his rest of season projections. So I think he can hit at least 275 going forward. Um, and if he can do that, I think he's the best def- the center field defender they've got. Um, so I think he's, I think you've got like a three or four year center fielder there at least. Uh, where he's going to hit 275, have like a 325 on base percentage, um, and hit you know seven to ten homers a year, uh, and just be generally a, a good player. But I don't necessarily see hit this as like the beginning of superstardom uh, because he's 26. Uh, it's very likely that we're kind of seeing uh, him in the middle of his peak year, or uh, or or, he, or it's all come together in the right age range for him. See, I I'm kind of going to split the difference. I think we're going to see. We're going to see ups and downs because he hasn't been in the big leagues that long. Like any player who's limited with experience, pitchers opposing teams are going to find holes. He's going to have to correct for them. But not having to do that with two swings speeds up that process. Mm. I think he hits the ball hard enough, even though the barrels haven't been there. Given that we're talking about a guy who's now focusing only on that one swing, there could be some late bloomer potential here. And I think you, you want to project him and look at him based on his production floor. Right, If you're picking him up in fantasy in a shallow league or trading for him, you have to think about the likely outcome. But I think you do get the the cherry on top being everything starts to click and he actually unlocks a little extra power. Instead of hitting 8 he's to 10 right home runs, right? yeah, maybe he hits 20 home runs because by the second half of the season, he's unlocked something in his swing and he's barreling up the ball more than ever. Like That, to me, is at least plausible given what we're dealing with. And I also like the fact he's an above-average runner. I mean, he's a 60-grade runner, according to Fangrass, 85th percentile in sprint speed. That's a team that, even in that park, is still going to have to manufacture some runs. So I think he's going to get green lights over the course of the season, too, if he continues to get on base. One thing that's also interesting, I think, in this discussion is, like, um, you know, are there any other candidates for this? And uh, my mind immediately went to Ozzy Albies, hmm. um, who is a just a... a, a terrifying force against lefties um and even in this uh poor year for him um he's been league average against lefties where he's been way worse against righties and uh if you watch him you know the slings look pretty similar uh, from side to side but like if you talk to switch hitters they'll tell you like i feel like a completely different person uh from one side to the other yeah um and so i i like i kind of almost like this idea for albies to just be like Hey, you you mash from the right side. That's your better swing. Why don't you just watch some righties from the right side? Like, why don't we just have a couple at bats where you just like you're facing righties from the right side and you're using that swing and see if you you get into something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the platoon advantage is worth chasing, but uh, not if it's too if it's complicating their lives and 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 keeping them from being better players. Yeah, the the late bloomer discussion is interesting to me because uh, people have always said in baseball like statistics you know the advanced analytics 
can miss those late bloomers, right? Doesn't always account for two things, steroids and late bloomers. And mm. could Cedric Mullins, he is 26. I do feel like I've been, I at least being in Baltimore for a while, have been talking about him forever. However, he could still have that 26 to 30. He still could have a good few years in him where mm-hmm. maybe he's not at his peak yet. I agree with DVR. See, Thor's back as we're talking about the Orioles. Uh, <laughs> Thor's a good boy. <laughs> Big Orioles fan. <laughs> Big Cedric Mullins fan. Uh, <laughs> I'm here for Thor's approval. Yeah, aren't we all? That's all yeah. I'm seeking. <laughs> his hair, his tail was, uh, for the YouTube watchers, his tail was wagging behind you. It almost looked like it was your tail. <laughs> It's <laughs> a weird moment for me. <laughs> well, there's nowhere to go but down here. So let's talk about Leody Tavares. Uh, the question oh. that came in about him was, is Leody Tavares a lost cause? And uh, this question came from Timothy, who also asked about Cedric Mullins. I don't think we could call any player this early in the season a lost cause. And then in any year, regardless of, of age, but then we start taking in all the factors with Leody Tavares, the player he was supposed to be initially upon entering the Rangers system, the player that we thought he was a few years after that, and then the player he was when he debuted last year. It's been a roller coaster so far. A lot of highs, a lot of lows. I think he's a good long-term center fielder. He's a good defender. He's going to get chances to play. The worst case scenario, he's a bench outfielder in the long run. But there's still a chance he's a regular center fielder, probably a guy at the bottom third of the lineup. But he's been so young for the level everywhere he's played, guys. He's overmatched right now, and I think had we seen him longer in 2020, we would have seen more of these flaws get exposed a year ago. Only played 65 games at Double A before making the leap last season. So I'm not surprised to see him struggling. I have him on exactly zero teams because it was a speed-first profile that had some swing-and-miss flaws in it. Long-term keeper dynasty leagues, you know, for the Rangers, if you're a Rangers fan, I wouldn't give up on him. I think he's going to take some significant time at AAA, figure out how to hit there, and then come back maybe August of this season and be the regular center fielder for the Rangers again. Yeah, I think he fits into our long-term conversation, DVR, about uh, surprising strikeout rate surgers in the major major leagues because... If you look at the minor leagues, he was always running strikeout rates like as low as 10, 11 percent, 15 percent. It's kind of it kind of went up as he went up. Um, and then, you know, he went from 20.5 percent in double A to 32 and 45 percent. So I, I, you know, if I think that's actually the major key for him, because I don't think he's going to be a power hitter. But if you look at Cedric Mullins, you see a guy who's striking out 20 percent of the time in the major leagues. That's actually better than average these days because average is 25%. Nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really think it would come that fast. Uh, But uh, so you have to kind of recalibrate now. 20%. Oh, he's he's a good contact guy. So so I feel like uh, if he can figure something out and come back and strike out 20% of the time, then he has a chance. But in terms of is he done this year, I actually think he's going to go down pretty soon because if he hasn't, is he already? Look he's barely player. playing right now, but I think yeah. as soon as there are AAA games for him to play in, season starts May 4th, Adolis, he's yeah. going to be yeah. there. Adolis Garcia is, is, going to, is taking starts from him in center. And it wasn't ever you know supposed to necessarily be Adolis' thing, and maybe it won't work out, but he's very fast. Um, and they wanted, and he's apparently improved his reach rate. So Adolis Garcia is a becoming a pickup i think in 15 team leagues i think he's you know uh, if he shows this power and he shows a better reach rate if you look at his game by game reach rate um there's a piece by uh levi about that um just today if you look at his reach rate it's improving over, over time um and it, that that'd be a big thing for him because if adolis garcia can have some patience not strike out as much he has the raw power he has the speed he might end up taking the job from him but i think if Tavares then shows in minor league games, oh, he's he's figured something out. He's not striking out as much. Garcia would be better on the court. Yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. The other thing with Leody Tavares that makes him complicated, he's another switch hitter, right? I mean, like it, that adds to the adjustments that he's going through. So I I got to dig into his numbers a bit more. I know looking at MILB, what, what year is this? What is wrong with this website? Is this the worst website in the entire world? I've got some splits here. He's a lot better against lefties than righties in the minors. I don't know at what levels, so thanks for that. That's super helpful. Good good job. 
future research to be done. Well, I think they had a lot of budget cuts. Uh, used to be like an independently operated site from MLB, but now it's under the MLB umbrella, from what I understand. And I oh, and so they fired a bunch of yeah, people. Yeah, and so I just think that there's um, a lot of stuff. Like back in the day, I used to freelance for MILB. There used to be like game recaps. I remember following games on my computer and calling like minor league coaches at night and stuff. Like when I was trying to break into the business, uh, they don't really do that anymore. So there's been some adjustments. Well, our, I think our new uh, Cardinals reporter, Katie Wu, was a uh, minor league reporter for. Mm-hmm. MILB.com. Yes. Yes, she was. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a – I also think there's just so many players. It's maybe tough for people to keep up on those stats. I don't know. But I agree. It's a, It freezes a lot on me. It, it's tough to, to find any, like, definitive stats there. So yeah. It's weird. His major league uh, splits are better against lefties. Hmm. Yeah. Well – Nevertheless, it adds to the difficulty of making the adjustments, right? As a switch hitter, doing that for the first time, I think he might actually develop a little more power over time. We saw, we saw some last year. It's not a complete fluke. He's not a small guy. Like Fast center fielders, my mind immediately is like, oh, dude's 5'10", 170 pounds. No, he's 6'2". Like, he's he's going to probably develop a little more pop as he adds a little more uh, mass. Still young. Yep, still very young. Uh, one more question that came in this week and it was inspired by Andrew Chafin, I believe, who kind of has a Benjamin Button thing going on himself. Looks like a guy you'd see on a 1988 Topps card with his mustache and hair sticking out of his hat. Uh, he was wearing a shirt along with the other Cubs relievers that just says, failed starter on it. And it inspired a question from one of our listeners, uh, just kind of asking about the different ways that starters and relievers might be separated in some instances and their opportunities to interact with one another at various points, you know, during games and around the clubhouse. So I uh, want to throw this to each of you. How separate are starters and relievers at various points throughout the year? It seems like in spring training, they're kind of next to each other, working together all the time. But after that, things might be a little bit different. Yeah, I think bullpens just, you know, being on a couple different beats, they're definitely their own little click, especially if they're pitching well. <laughs> Because keep in mind, they spend every game together. They're out in the bullpen. They're the only people watching the game with each other day in, day out. Uh, you know, in the dugout, there's more movement. Guys are hitting. Guys are coming in from the field. In the bullpen, they just sit there. And they chat. They chat about the game. They chat about life. I would love to. It's been a long dream of mine. It would never be allowed. Sit in the bullpen for an entire game with them and just write about what goes on. Uh, that obviously they would never let me near that. It's a very sacred also, tradition. It's often fairly obscene. Yes. Also, it's probably not printable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it's not the first bullpen that I've seen had shirts. Um, there's been uh, tons of little groups that was that there the Ray's stable thing. Yes. Um. Well, that was from the Kevin Cash quote of "I've got a whole stable of guys who throw." <laughs> was it nine- who can throw ninety nine yeah, your head? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think the Nationals <laughs> maybe had something one year with the bullpen. The Orioles, I mean, the starters, too, are their own little click. There's like these clicks within baseball. The starters mm-hmm. are also their own little click because there was a team I covered where all the starters, it was good luck. They'd all watch each other's bullpens. Uh, so, again, it depends on the team. But very by your very nature, relievers are on a weird schedule. They're on a different yeah. schedule. In what other sport is half your team somewhere else? Watching the game. It's the only sport, right? Where it's like that. Where they're... they're well, yeah. It's it, interesting. For a while, uh, it wasn't like that in San Francisco, right? And I, yeah. there's, I think there might be one other place where the bullpens are uh, on the field. Uh, they used to in, be at Wrigley. In, they moved them. In Tampa Bay, they're on the... Well, do you mean on the field or in the dugout? In Tampa Bay, the visiting, they had these like weird folding chairs for a while. And they were on the field in like foul ground. The A's. Uh, the Tampa Bay, too. They would turn around and, like, I think I got my sister tickets once to a game over there. And the relievers would, like, turn around and chat in, like, the third, fourth inning to fans. Uh, well, the one thing that was u- unique about San Francisco, though, was in Oakland, even though the, the, the mounds are on the field, uh, there's still the bullpen sits over there, like you're saying, with the folding chairs. They yes. still sit out in a different spot. The thing that was unique about San Francisco was the relievers sat in the dugout. Oh, that is unique. Uh, and, uh, I, I tried to talk, I, I was trying to develop a story about this at some point. I don't think it ever, uh, I don't think I ever wrote it. Uh, but, um, when I talked to people about it, they, 
they didn't really have any good stories or they didn't really they were like oh yeah like i was over there you know picking madison's brain about cutter grips like i just think that the this you know like the starters are like the cool crowd you know (laughs) like they're the kings of the roost whatever And uh, the relievers are like the oddballs, you know, and I think that a lot of relievers, especially if you just got called up, you would never go walk over to Madison Bumgarner and ask him about his cutter grip. No. You might ask the guy sitting next to you in the bullpen because you've already heard all his opinions about, you know, you know, whatever. (laughs) You've had you've been talking through games, you know, so. Yeah, um, that's true. It's definitely a weird Baseball is just weird in that regard, I guess, because there are, you're right, the starters are the cool group, and most relievers want to be starters. Nobody, it's very rare for someone to come up and just be a reliever their whole career. Uh, Most of them are failed starters, whether it was in the minor leagues or in the big leagues or at whatever level, they are failed starters. And they all, outside of like some of the recent cachet over the last, like, I would say, what, 10, 20 years over closers, maybe getting big money, being a starting pitcher pays. You get the money, you get the fame, you get four yeah. days off, basically, you know, like you have a good start. You're living large for the next couple of days. What are you doing? You're stretching, you're throwing 30 pitches. They've got great schedules. So every reliever, for the most part, is jealous on some level of starters. They want to be starters. Yeah. And maybe, so maybe you could try as a team to like, be like, we are all one. Like that's what every team's trying to do, right? They're all trying to like foment this idea that like, we're all on the same page and let's, let's all have t-shirts and let's, you know, like we're all, you can talk to anybody and this is a really cool place and we all love each other. (laughs) They're trying to do that, but there's the, the fact of your schedules. I mean, you, you alluded to this, like there's just the fact of your schedules. Starters throw they might not even be at the park one of those days, those other days, you know, then there's a rest day. They, they, there's a day where they're just like pouring over scouting reports, right? Like they have a very sort of one, two, three, four, five, you know, uh, relievers kind of just have to get up and be like, what's, what's going on today? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I had the day off. I can lift. Okay. I'll go lift. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, there's, there's just a sort of fly by the seat of your pants. And, uh, I've been used two days in a row, like Lucas Sims last night. Uh, you know, he'd been used, uh, two days in a row. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he thought I probably won't get used again. I have this injury history. I'm a new reliever, but they needed him three days in a row because they went to extra innings. Didn't work out. Uh, that's, that's just the life of a reliever. You have to also just have a short memory. You know, it's almost plays. For, for, for starters, it plays to have a long memory. I talked to Alex Wood once and I asked him about Yasmani Grandal and I thought I was talking about throwing to him as a catcher and he thought I was asking about a plate appearance against Yasmani Grandal and he started listing out different pitches he threw Yasmani Grandal. And if you remember that, that's when Alex Wood is a Dodger. So he's talking about like three years before he'd faced Yasmani Grandal as a Dodger as a, as a brave and he remembered the pitches in the sequence that he threw Yasmani Grandal. And this is not, that's, I think you talk to some of the greatest pitchers, they can do that. Yeah, you're right. And be like, I remember that, AB, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, but a reliever, it's almost better to wake up and be like, what, something happened yesterday? Nah, I didn't blow the game yesterday. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. And like, what, what, what I don't think people realize either, and I had to learn, is relievers are on a different food schedule. Starters have like their pregame meal and they have their traditions, and relievers are like, hey, someone's got to pack the backpack full of snacks. Cause if I'm going into the seventh <laughs> inning, I'm going to need Red Bull. Yeah. I'm going to need a coffee. I might slam some pixie sticks. Like, everyone's got their own little <laughs> thing. And like, you don't see Max Scherzer snacking between innings in the dugout, right? So it's a totally yeah. different schedule. The guy Guys have to get on, right? Like, hey, we might need you at 1030. That might be the time we need you, you know. We need five minutes. So you're you're doing the JC Romero, right? You're slamming that Red Bull and you're coming out of that bullpen and you've got to be ready. You've got to be like jittery adrenaline on edge. It's got to be such a tough life, man. You just slam a couple Red Bulls. You go in high effort. Like everything, every part of your body is just like, and you do it for like five minutes. And then it's like. 10.30 10.30 at night and your body's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, uh, well, I, I, I'm done. Yeah, I got to go to sleep now. And your body's like, go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like, okay, can I go to sleep soon? Yeah. <laughs> your body's like, no, <laughs> rage. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, and on top of all the caffeine, you probably ran out to five finger death punch or something. So that that brought you up another level too. Like all the things that get you fired up. You, you it's like building and your own like personal Vegas like, for for okay, five thanks. minutes and just <laughs> indulging in everything that makes you go completely bananas, and then oh going God. out there and throwing ninety five. It'd be fun. And a future question: If you were a closer. What would be your entrance music? We'll give you guys a week to think about that one because you don't want to screw that up. You don't want to. You don't want to go with the five finger death punch in that case. You want to do a little better, I think, if you can. No disrespect <laughs> to that band. I don't want to start a beef. And with I them. think there's actually a difference between that and uh, batting walk up music because for a long time, I, my answer would have been Ratatat. Um, you know, I think there's a Wildcat or Loud Pipes. There's a really cool entry and uh, like entry music, but um, I think that works better for batting because it's actually a little bit mellow. And so, you know, you might hear it a lot, right? Yeah. And, and so you get like three or four plate appearances. You don't want to pick a song that's like, first pitch happens. Yeah. Yeah, right. And it's also my fourth fourth plate appearance of the night. Okay, okay, I got it. Yeah. That's why it's kind of funny that what's his face? Yeah, 0 for 3. And it's like, 0 for 3, it up. And that's why I thought it was so funny when what's his face did Careless Whisper because it's like, no, I, I just kind of want to reset. I just kind of want to step to the plate and kind of reset and, and be in a good spot. And so Careless Whisper was as good as anything. <laughs> but I think relieving, I would want something super high energy. Because yeah. I, I want to do that. Uh, who was it that ran? Was it Broxton? It was a bunch of dudes. Todd Coffey used to do it. Coffee. Yeah. yeah. Coffee's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah. I want to run. I want to oh, run yeah. out of that gate. And I want it to just be like... <laughs> so I gotta. It, it's gonna be a different answer than Rattatat for sure. It's gonna be something loud out of the pen. I agree. the The chill walk up music as a hitter is very different than you know Fernando Rodney uh, walking out to uh, <laughs> live the night. I think it's called. You know, it, it's it's Lil John and Hardwell. Like it's just it's just loud. Like it, it's 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 loud. It's a club banger. Like it's it's gonna get you moving. You know, with the with our talk about relievers versus starters, uh, most of the time the starter music there is a starter warm up music, yeah. right? Most most of the time it's actually pretty mellow, right? For the most you could part, write your own and Max, wrap your own. Max Scherzer's Doctor Dre though. Uh, oh, yeah. cool. But yes, you're right. Cool, but uh, 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 but I think it, I've seen a lot of Bumgarner, right? And Bumgarner <laughs> does this like uh, it's it's like Fire on the Mountain, but it's not the dead version. It's like uh, it's like a country version. Of course. And it's just... Uh, Sounds about right. He's a secret cowboy. Just, that totally fits. <laughs> yeah. And I think... But I think as a starter, you kind of want to just be like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm chill. I'm good. Yeah. I, I'm ready for five innings. I got it. Yeah. Uh, now I'm going to write a song called Secret Cowboy and try to get Madison Bumgarner <laughs> to use it. <laughs> it could be done. Uh, last topic for today. I, I'm convinced that replay on stolen bases needs to be modified and... This is a common play. People see it all the time. They complain about it all the time. I don't know why it bothered me so much last night, but Chris Bryant uh, was thrown out on a stolen base attempt, and it was it was the classic. He, he beat the throw. He got to the bag, and as his body slid over the bag, he didn't even really go past it, but his, his arms were just over past it, and his legs hadn't, his knee, his back knee, hadn't got to the bag yet. And the tag was held on him the entire time. He was called out on the field. He remained out on review. That to me is just a like a classic application where they're applying the letter of the law instead of the the spirit of the law, the rule in this case, where that's a stolen base. And pre-replay, I think the call on the field would have been safe more often. The reason being, umps want to get the call right. Umps don't want to have the the red check mark next to the call having it be overturned, right? So they have to call it the way replay is going to see it. Ten years ago, the call on a play like that is safe more often than not, and it should be. You should be safe in that situation. So am I taking crazy pills, or am I right to be upset about what we're seeing? Uh, I think you're right. I wonder, does the bigger bases that are coming, that are being tested in like the Atlantic League, does that fix this, make it better? It certainly helps stolen – like they want to have more stolen bases. So you're right. You've got to fix it. Otherwise – you're not going to incentivize guys to steal bases when you're going to get calls like this. So I I agree with you, DBR. I saw your tweet, and you're not usually one to throw shade on Twitter, but you tweeted about this too, and you're right. Uh, They have to get those calls. I also think after a minute of replay, if you can't make a definitive call, then like just let it stand on the field. 
Uh, I'm tired of waiting five minutes, five plus minutes in a sport that's already got a lot of dead time. And we've talked about that. Like replay should make the game better. If it's not making the game better, then we need to sit back and say, like, what was the point? What are we really doing? Like an obvious. Yeah. It's it's for obvious calls. It's for obviously getting it wrong. Right. So it's not really uh, that amazing to watch the same thing over and over again for three minutes and be like, oh, is it? Oh, I think it's like watch it for a minute. (laughs) If you were obviously wrong or obviously right, then get it right and then move on. Because even because we've seen also some plays like that crazy play at home um, with uh, Alec Bohm. Yeah. Where they looked at it for three minutes and everyone is, is pretty sure they got it wrong. Yeah. Right. So it's just like, you, you congratulations, you just took four minutes of our life. We, we're still having the same <laughs> argument we would have had if you hadn't done the replay. Well yeah. done. It's almost worse they looked at it and determined, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Rather than if they hadn't, like, ignorance is bliss, right? Like, oh, bang, bang, yeah. they missed it. No, you but had time. Yeah. But the that's an argument, I guess. Against replay, I do like your idea of maybe just cut it off in a minute. And if it's obvious, then you do it. And then if not, bam, we move on. I like that idea. The other idea that I like is um, uh, the one you're describing with Brian. It's not what I expected. Uh, what I think of the play at, at, at second that I don't like is um, a pop-up where they are like above the base, but like there's like a millimeter of space between their foot for a second. And... It's like not even really possible to see with their naked eye, mm-hmm. but they keep the tag on them and then they review it. And then like, oh, yeah, when you popped up, you were and, and people say the devil's advocate, they say you're taught a pop up slide through all of minor leagues, little leagues. Everyone should be able to do a pop up slide. Yes. My point is that on a lot of those pop up slides, you think you're doing amazingly. If we put a camera on it, you <laughs> left the bag for a little millimeter. Right. And so. It's not in the spirit of the pop-up slide. It's not in the spirit of the game. It's 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 like the technology has gone too far. Like if you leave the bag for a millimeter, I don't think you should be out. So I think one thing I've heard is like that the the space above the, the bag is uh like it, it extends above the bag. Oh, it should at least once you've reached the bag. Yeah, you, like, should, you shouldn't be able to be safe because you had your hand above the bag before touching it. But if you've touched yeah, the yeah, base yeah. and then yeah. your body is then above it, you're good. Yeah, that like that you've sort of you've come to an island, like you've made the you've made the place, you know. <laughs> right. Um, Welcome to Second so. Base Island. Yeah, like, I mean, like, like over sliding yeah. the bag should be pretty obvious. It shouldn't be like, oh, yep, he was off by a millimeter out. Like that's yeah. So actually, uh, that was my idea about like the space above. I like I like Britt's idea better actually. I think because if it was a minute. All, all those millimeter stuff they you wouldn't you would you might not be able to do it in a minute mm-hmm. so you'd just be like uh you know whatever the call on the field was stands because we can't i'd have to replay it a bunch of times and try to find that one millimeter so yeah and every let's, let's in, inconclusive by time yes. yeah and every yeah. everyone's like well it's a big play in the game well how many balls and strikes get missed every night that are also big plays in the game that change the very at bat and change the outcome so, like, get yeah. out of here with this millimeter stuff. We're not getting yeah. those right by yeah. the millimeter. Yeah, exactly. So, like, no. get out of here with that. Yeah. Hey, nothing's perfect, but I, I think we can make an adjustment here, and it's going to make the game a lot better. Uh, we have to go. Thor is uh, dozing comfortably, I think, over Britt's shoulder, so I'm glad we did a good job getting his uh, late-morning nap in. <laughs> doing good work here if you want to see thor check us out on youtube hit the like button on the video hit the subscribe button to get all the shows on youtube if you're watching us on youtube be sure to subscribe to this podcast on apple podcast spotify overcast any of those places where you can listen to a podcast we're more portable that way we're not quite as portable on youtube as we are on the podcast players on twitter she's at brit underscore Giroli. he's at unoceris i'm at Derek van riper rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the email address sign up check out brit's rotation rankings check out eno's updated pitching rankings check out everything else on the site Three ninety nine a month to start theathletic.com slash rates and barrels that is going to wrap things up for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you on monday for listening.